Thank you, Pastor Chase. I, I got you. I got you. Yes. Hey, fifth and sixth graders, we love you. Get out. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, seriously, I give the fifth and sixth graders a round of applause as they go. We love you guys. Have a great day. Have a good time in class. Um, because today, I'm gonna I'm gonna share and I'm gonna I'm gonna preach and I'm just gonna let you know right now. I'm talking about a prostitute. Okay. And you guys are like, what in the world? This, is this church? What is going on? Yes, this, this is church. See, Pastor Stan is doing a series right now called Faithful. And right now we're kind of walking through the book of Joshua and we're looking at things. And um, he so kindly gave me chapter two. <laughs> yep. Actually, you know, I don't know if you've been coming for the past couple of weeks or not, um, but I don't know what I did to him. I don't know if I like went to his house, and, like ran over his cat or something. I don't know what happened, but... He's been, like, digging on me in the, in the sermons. Like, has anybody, like, how many Team Stevie? Like, you guys have been like, yes, he's been, he's been hating on you. He's been hurting you. And how many people are Team Stan? Yeah. Come on. Security? Get them. Right, I'm just kidding. Right, but he's been digging on me. And, and so I started thinking, like, well, then why did he let me preach? Like, if he's so upset with me, why would he give me a Sunday? And I realized Thursday night on our softball league, he had a double header. This old man can't preach after all that running. Like, there's just no way. Come, I'm just kidding. I'm going to actually do the pastoral thing and say how much I love and appreciate you, Pastor. And you are awesome. And you're like my best friend. And you're cool. And no, seriously, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you uh, for sharing your pulpit. I told you last night, but uh, for opening your pulpit to a young gun like me, uh, I appreciate it so very much. I'll do my best not to uh, preach any uh, heresies or anything crazy. Um, today, but I can't, I'm just kidding. I was going to say, I can't guarantee anything, but actually I can, because I control what I talk about. Anyways, um, so hey, let's have some fun. I want to get into it. Like I said, Joshua chapter two, uh, we're going through this here. And, uh, the story of Rahab is what we're going to look at today. And uh, a couple years ago, I was a youth pastor and someone came up to me one time. This is just a, you know, a prelude to the message. I guess you could say it's like episode one, two, and three of star Wars. Okay. And, uh, uh, a guy came up to me and said, you know, I, I really appreciate when, when you preach to you. I said, oh, thanks, man. I, you know, I thought he was like being nice and complimenting. I was like, you know, I appreciate you. He goes, no, I'm, I'm serious. He goes, I feel like when you preach, I got some application things that I can do in my life and, and I, can, I can move forward and I, I have something to work on. I go, well, good. That's hopefully, you know, the goal of every preacher when they get up on a Sunday morning is to give life application to people to be closer to Jesus and have that walk of discipleship. And so I was like, wow, this guy's like being really nice. And I was like, thank you. You know, praise God. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I do it for him. So really cool, you know? And, uh, this is where the compliment kind of turned on me. Uh, he goes, he goes, you know, I just don't understand. Um, you know, I, I've been around church my whole life. I, I've been around church forever. And I just, I, I don't understand why you have to talk about Jesus so much. And I was like, you've been around church forever and you don't know why I need to talk about Jesus. Okay. Um, and I was like, okay. He goes, I was like, what, what, what do you mean? He goes, well, every sermon, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. You always end by talking about Jesus. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's what the Bible's about. Like, I don't know a different message. He goes, he goes you know, Stevie, here's, here it is. He goes, he goes I, I think um, you're just too evangelistic for me. And he, I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like, hold on a second. I was like, okay, too evangelistic. I'm pretty sure that's what Jesus set up is for us to be evangelists, to go tell people the good news of Jesus, right? And so if you know me, I'm, I'm a pretty passive guy. Uh, I have no need or desire to be like alpha male in the room. Uh, to be like, oh, I got a bigger bicep than you. <laughs> you know, it's not who I am. Um, I don't mind laying down the law. I don't mind bringing the hammer if I have to. Uh, but I don't, 
uh, have a desire in me to be like, I am in charge. Like, I just, it's just not my style. It's not who I am. Uh, I'm more laid back, more chill. And when something's out of line, it's like, okay, hold on, let's address this. And I'll be really kind and polite about it. Uh, I was probably not as kind and polite as I should have been uh, with this response, but it was the truth. And for that, I will not apologize. And I said, you know, uh, I don't know his name. And since pastor's been te- um, teasing me, I don't want to mention his name to, to us here. But I was just like, you know, Stan. <laughs> I was like, you'll never outgrow your need for the gospel. The moment you do, you're lost and confused. I said, and the moment Jesus stops saving people is the moment I'll stop preaching about him. And so I forward this today to tell you, yes, we are going to talk about a pagan prostitute and her actions. But I'm going to end their time together talking about Jesus and how that pagan prostitute is why Jesus is who he is. The entire Bible is about Jesus. It'll always be about Jesus. There's nothing more to the story to add. It's about him. It'll always be about him from Genesis to Revelation. And from eternity on, our message is Jesus. So today I'd like to talk to you about a pagan prostitute named Rahab. And I really want to talk about Jesus. So let's get into this today. Let's have some fun. Um, my, my opening question, you could say, is this. Is, have you ever received something that is just too good to believe? Yeah. Like you got a blessing. You're just like, man, that is like awesome, over the top amazing, so cool, I don't deserve this, this is incredible, right, let me, let me give you an example, it's a cheap example, but it's great, uh, our, our anniversary was coming up, I think it was our eighth anniversary, and uh, we were living in San Diego, and life was good, it was like, this is awesome, like, we're gonna celebrate eight years of marriage, this is incredible, and uh, one thing I love doing, I don't do it enough at all, is I love taking my wife to dinner, I love getting away from the kids, just having a date, just her and I, because one day those kids are going to move out, and I want to make sure that her and I still have similarities, right? <laughs> because those kids are going to be gone one day, and uh, life can't be about just them. Um, so I want to make sure that we have a healthy marriage, and so we, we go on dates as often as I can, and sometimes we just can't do it because life is crazy. But I, I like even going to a really expensive place sometimes, right? Um, just because it's like, yeah, hey, I want to, my wife to know, like, and I, we sit down to dinner and I always say, Kristen, you can back me up with us. I always say, Kristen, get whatever you want. And she could order everything she wants in the menu because I don't care about the price of the meal. What I care about is my wife knowing that she's more valuable than that. Amen. And so it's like, Hey, order anything you want. Thank God. She has not ordered everything on the menu. Um, I would need a couple credit cards, right? So she has not done that. Don't get any ideas, babe. Love you. Right? So. I've always, you know, wanted to take my wife to really nice dinners, and our, and our anniversary was coming up, and I was like, man, I want to go somewhere nice, right? But there's a place that's just kind of above my pay grade, Ruth Chris Steakhouse, right? Yeah. It's like, I just kind of draw the line there, bro. I'm just like, you know, 90 bucks for a baked potato. I just, I don't, I don't know if I can cut that, man. Like, give me a discount, and maybe we'll, we'll talk about it, right? So I've, I've always been like, yes, like, let's go and get an expensive dinner. Let me treat you to a nice dinner. But I've always kind of drew the line there. I was just like, yeah, no, Ruth Chris Steakhouse said, wonderful place. I bet it's good. But we ain't going, right? <laughs> However, this year, our, aunt, our, aunt, our eighth anniversary, I received a gift card from a friend. And he said, hey, man, it's a Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Here you go. Go enjoy a nice meal. And I was just like, whoa. I was like, this is above my pay grade. I'm about to get me a good meal, right? Like, I was excited. I was pumped up about it. I was like, this is amazing. Like, there's no way I could afford to take my wife here and say, babe, order whatever you want. Like, and having, I'm like, babe, would you like a glass of water? That's $25.99, right? Like, it was just like, hey, just, let's just not go there. But I had this gift card. It was above my prayer grade. It was a blessing through the roof. And we went, and I didn't even like wedge salad with blue cheese. 
until that night. That blue cheese changed my life. I'm just letting you know. As, as Pastor Chase's life has been changed from first service, my life was changed sitting there at Ruth Chris Steakhouse eating that wedge salad. Okay, I love blue cheese now. Like, that meal changed my life. That, that steak was like, seriously, amazing. And the baked potato that was 90 bucks, wow. Like, I see why it's 90 bucks. Like, when you're paying for it, it's, it's amazing, right? Like, hey, who, has anybody ever been to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, right? If, if you're online watching right now, say, yes, I've been. You know what I'm talking about, okay? It's just amazing. Like, having that, that meal was just like, wow, over-the-top blessing, something that I could not afford at all. And the reason I am telling you this story today is, is not because I just love food, which I, I really do. I'm about to have some tacos later on, okay? It's going to be delicious. But all, all I'm saying is that, I'm sharing this story because I'm, I'm going somewhere, and I want you to know that Rahab, this pagan prostitute, received a blessing that straight up, in my opinion, and as we read in the story, your opinion, she does not deserve this. She receives a blessing that is way above her pay grade, something she should never receive, and yet she, a pagan prostitute, receives one of the greatest blessings in the Bible. And so that's why I'm sharing the story. That's why I want to get into this today. And I want to talk to you about Rahab. So let's pick it up right here. Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read the first six verses and get going. It says this. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and stayed there. It was told to the king of Jericho, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king sent word to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about that it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hidden them. I just want to open this up with first saying uh, to assume that these two Israelite spies went into Jericho um, to find a prostitute to, let's just say it as it is, have a good time, that you would be implying something on scripture that is not there. So to say that they went and sought out a prostitute is wrong. They did go, however, go into the town to seek somewhere they can hide. And let's state the obvious here. It would not be weird for Rahab, a prostitute. To be seen with traveling men entering her home. That's just the reality of Rahab's life. That's who she is. So when people see these Israelite men with her, they probably don't think right away, oh, those are Israelite spies. They just think, oh, Rahab is trying to get money to go to the grocery store. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as gentle with this as I can, but that is the reality of Rahab. That is the reality of who she was and, and the lifestyle that she had chose to live. And so when, when people see her with men, they don't assume anything. They're just, okay, whatever. There's Rahab again, right? And Rahab had this big reputation. She was known for who she is. And so the, obviously these spies, they go into town. I, I'm not a professional, okay? I, I'm really not. But somehow these spies didn't take Spy 101. That when you enter town, you don't tell people you're a spy to seek out the land to kill them all. Right? Because somehow these men got caught. Even though Rahab hid them, somehow word got out that there are spies from Israel here. And they've come to search out the land. Again, I'm no James Bond, but I would not walk into town and be like, I'm a spy from Israel. I'm here to look at the land and kill you all. Like, 
I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I just, that is not my style. Maybe I'm a better spy than these guys. I don't know. Jesus, why was I born today? Right? Like, I, I don't know what's going on here. But all I know is that somehow they got found out. And again, for Rahab, it would not be weird or awkward for her to have to hide a man. I wonder how many times she may have hidden a man in her house. And the wife comes up, boom, boom, boom. Terry, I know you're in there, right? Like, I'm just stating the obvious here that Rahab lived a lifestyle. And again, I'm trying not to go coarse here, but I am trying to make the point that none of this is really off, off color here. This is all what's happening and what's going on with Rahab's life. This is who she is. She has no problem lying about where the men went because of the life she had chosen to live. She had no problem hiding men in her home. It's the life that she was used to. She had, again, she had chosen this. She was a prostitute. And what's funny to me is that if you know me, uh, you know that I hate lying. I, when, when Kristen and I were engaged, about to get married, I said, look, I said, hon, I can handle a lot. I just can't handle lying. Like, I need honesty, because if there's honesty, then there's going to be trust. If there's trust, there's going to be faithfulness. If there's faithfulness, there's going to be loyalty, and there's going to be a great long life with you. But I cannot have lying. You, you can ask anybody. That is my thing. Like, please do not lie to me. Like, my promise to you is I will not lie to you, so please do not lie to me. I can't stand lying. I, I, I grew, I've told you this before, I grew up lying. I, I lived two separate, completely lives at my dad's house, at my mom's house. I think my mom's watching right now. I love you, mom. And so... I grew up in my teenage years just lying to my parents, lying to my mom every single day of my life, pretending to be someone that I was not. And so for me, lying is a really big deal. And so when I look at the story of Rahab, she lies. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, if you're familiar with this Bible chapter, she's bragged about. The the writer of Hebrews says, man, it's, it's the faith and the kindness and the obedience of Rahab that gave us the victory at Jericho. And I look at that and I just go, oh my gosh, like, I, again, I don't condone lying. She was not yet a follower of God, but she was obviously doing a better job than the two spies, right? The two spies are, we're here to kill you. There's no spies here, right? She's like a Jedi. I don't, this is, what's going on here? She's doing a better job than them, right? She's doing what's right, but she had to do what was wrong because why? She was not yet a follower of God. And so she had no problem lying. She had no problem hiding men in her house. And then she strikes up a conversation after she met with the guards. They leave. They go chasing the, the, the guys pretendly out of the city. And then it says, before they went down in uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, before they lay down, she came up to, the, um, up to them on the roof and said, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. Hear this out now. For the Lord, your God, he is God of heaven above and of earth beneath. I read these words and I just go, those are some of those powerful words spoken of my God from a pagan prostitute. What what is she saying? What, what, What exactly is going on here? What she is telling these spies is saying this, I have heard of the actions of your God and the lack thereof of mine. 
Jericho had its gods. They had their idols. They had the ones that they worshipped and served and made sacrifices to, I'm sure of it. But they had idols. And what she's saying is, surely you're God. He's the real deal. He is the God of heaven above and of earth beneath. And obviously the gods that we serve are in completely no comparison to who your God is. That's what she's saying. She's not just saying nice words about God. She's saying, I see how alive and active your God is with you. And I'm noticing that our God is not active with us. Yours is real. Ours is fake. She's catching the hint. And she's the only one in all of Jericho who has enough sense to align herself with Israel. She's the only one in all of Jericho who says, I see something here. I should probably align myself with the real God. Not the ones that we serve here. Not the idols that we have here. But I need to follow the real God. I have a question this morning. I want to know, has the testimony of what God has done for you gone out ahead of you? You see, up until this point, Israel had not crossed the Jordan River. They haven't stepped foot in the promised land. These two spies are the, are the 13th and 14th people to step into the land. There's 12 spies 40 years ago. So these are just number one and number two. These are the next guys on the docket to walk into the land. And, and, and they get there and terror is all inside of Jericho. It says, we are terrified of you. And, 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 and why are they terrified? Because we've heard of what your God has done for you. We've heard of the Red Sea. We've heard of your slavery and how you guys were free from the nine plagues. We, we, we've heard of the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. We, we've heard of these, of these things that God has done for you. Has the testimony of what God has done for you gone out ahead of you? You see, before someone meets me, before they officially meet me, I would like them to know, hey, that's Stevie. He loves God. God has done things in his life. Before someone meets you, I want them to know, hey, they love God. God has done things in their life. Why? Because the testimony of God should go out ahead of us. Israel had not yet stepped foot in the land of Israel. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. So obviously they were coming in contact with travelers. Can you imagine you're a traveler just walking and hanging out and you come over this hill crest and all of a sudden there's like 3 million people, homeless people just hanging out. It's like, what in the world? Is this California? What's going on here? Right? It's like, actually, it's kind of Portland right now. It's kind of crazy. I've seen it. But... It's like, it's like, hold on a second, like, uh, what are all these people doing here? <laughs> What's going on? And obviously conversations had happened, enough so to inspire the people of Jericho, yeah. probably the people of Egypt, mm-hmm. probably the people, people of AI that we're going to hear about in a couple of weeks. It probably inspired these people enough to go, um, I, I need to go back and tell my kingdom, my people, my armies, that there's an army out here that's really big, that's really strong, but more importantly, their God does crazy miracles, bro. And those people went out ahead of Israel. You see, there should be people in your life that you tell people of the good things of God that are going forward and speaking on your behalf. People need to hear of the the faithful actions of our God. They need to hear it. The faithful actions of God need to be heard. That is our testimony. It says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our... Thank you. I'm not the only one preaching. Apparently you guys are too. Come on, that's how we overcome. It's, it's how we walk in freedom. It's how we walk in victory by the word of our testimony. Has the word of God and his actions gone out ahead of us? Because it should be. And for 40 years, Jericho has been living in this moment, wondering, will Israel come here? And Rahab says, no courage remains in any man because of you.
We've heard of what you've done. We've heard of what your God has done. And Jericho has been dreading this moment. And maybe for a while they thought they were good. Hey, it's been 25 years. They're still wandering out there in the desert. I, th- I think we might be okay. No, 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 we, we, can't, we can't do that. Their God is strong, man. Hey, who, who, who splits seas? These idols don't do anything, but this God splits seas and drowns an entire Egyptian army in it. But yet all of Israel gets through unscathed. They, they've attacked the Amorites. They defeated Sihon and Og. The king of Jericho is going, what are they going to do to me? I don't want to be like those kings. I don't want to end up like that. I, I, so the king reacts in fear. Go get them. Get them out of this town. He probably wants to kill them. Probably doesn't want to kick them out. He probably wants to kill them. He is running in fear, wondering for the past 40 years, will it ever come my way? Will this battle, will these, these great people and their great God, will it ever come my way? He is terrified. And again, Rahab is the only one in the entire city who has enough gumption to say, I need to use this to my advantage. Now, I'm going to take a little side detour here, but I'll let you know that the kingdom of God works by faith. The kingdom of darkness works by fear. Okay, so if you're newer to Christianity, you're newer to the faith, uh, that, that's, the, that, that's like the foundational statement, okay, is, is that God and his kingdom works by faith. But the devil and his kingdom works by fear. They are completely opposite. They both believe that what they do not see is going to happen. Okay? I can't, I can't see this, but I'm really fear, fearful that this is going to happen. Okay? You think it's going to happen. I can't see it, but I know one day God's going to deliver me from this. Okay? You don't have it yet, but you believe. Okay? That's faith and that's fear. The kingdom of darkness works by fear. And when fear is given into by one person, as it is a fear, as a, as a manipulator, and as a liar, it will infect the person next to them. And eventually, it will spread and take out an entire nation. Jericho is this nation that we're talking about. So that tells me that the devil, if he operates in the kingdom of darkness, that he himself is full of fear. He himself operates by fear, and he knows the only way he he can defeat you is to get that fear inside of you. Because if he has that fear inside of you, then you are no longer operating in the kingdom of light, but in the kingdom of darkness. And that's what he wants to do to us, is get us to operate out of faith and into fear. And Rahab has already mentioned that these two spies said, or Rahab has already mentioned two spies, sorry, that we have melted away in fear because of you and because of your God. And there's no man that has any more courage. Let let me illustrate this with a story. My my freshman year in high school... um, I, we, we had a killer football team. I mean, just, are there any football players out here? Like, anybody? Yes, thank you. So, my, my homies, right? So, <clears throat> we, we played ball, and we were, like, a really good team. Mind you, I sat on the bench, like, the entire season, but that's regardless of the point, okay? Uh, it, it was just awesome. Like, it was so much fun. Like, I love practices. I love working with the team. And, and honestly, like, I did find a way to enjoy it by saying, hey, I'm helping the first string guys get their practice reps in. Like I, and I was, I honestly, like I was okay with it. It was my first year playing football. Uh, my second year playing football. I, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I, got, I got no excuse there. Um, but I, I really had no, I had a lot of fun. I, I really loved it. I loved the football. I loved the game and everything. Uh, but we were a great team. Um, it was our eighth week and we were, sorry, going into our ninth week of games. We were eight and oh. Okay. Like we were just dropping folks left and right. Like, we just like, we'd walk onto a field and be like, yo, what's up? Like, we were like, we were the Titans, you know? Like, we were just like, hey, you know? It was awesome. Like, we just had so much confidence. Any field we took, we just went out there with confidence. And if you're familiar with the Sacramento area, there's a high school out there called Jesuit High School. And uh, thank you, holler. And um, 
We, we went up to this field and we're like, yo, we got this. Like, why are we even, we didn't even need to practice this week, guys. Like, this is nothing, right? And uh, we go out there and, and we, just, we just got worked. Like, it was bad. Like, I, I'm not even going to lie. As, as fourth quarter was like, the clock was ticking down, tears just started coming down in my face. And I didn't even play it in the game. Like, I, I didn't even play. And I was just like, this is terrible. Like, guys, we lost. Like, if I could have done better on the bench, I would have, guys. Like, it, it was just terrible. And I, I have no problem embarrassing myself, okay? So, <clears throat> it was just a tear. Thank you. So, we, and, and not, not only that, but Jesuit at the time, they were 8-0. and And so we knew going into this, hey, one of us is coming off this field today undefeated, and the other team is going to walk off with a defeat. And someone's going to take the L. And we were just like, it ain't going to be us. Like, it's not going to happen, right? <laughs> Obviously, we got worked. And so our next season was coming up. It was my JV year. And we reminded ourselves, I, I want to say every practice, but let's just say every week at least. Every week we reminded ourselves, hey, there was a team that beat us last year, and they're not going to do it this year. Like, there's no way on God's green earth that they're going to beat us. We are not going to allow this to happen. And so we had the identical schedule. Um, it was just flip-flop. So if you were away, you're now at home. Or if you're at home, you were then away. And so this year they came to our turf. And we were like, this is it. Like, in front of our people, our parents who are so proud of us, right? We are going to win this game. And we came on the field like we had been preparing for this moment for a year. And we rushed it. We were a pump. We were excited. And at halftime, the score was 17-0, them. Right, thank you. And I remember that feeling of, it's happening again. Here comes. This is, I remember, I'm familiar with defeat. I know what this feels like. 17-0, yeah, that's about what it was in the game before last year. We had zero points. I think we scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter, and that was it. So I was very familiar with this feeling of, we're getting shut out again, guys. And there's nothing I can do. I'm on the bench, right? <laughs> but it was that feeling of, oh, no. And so we, we didn't really run to the locker room. I did. I had to keep up. I had short legs. <clears throat> And we get to this locker room, and I remember we, we take a knee, you know, we put our helmets down. If you, if you see this, you know, you take your helmet, you hold your face mask, and you put your helmet in the ground like that, and you take a knee behind it. And, and I, all of our breaths were all just, just breathing hard. I was breathing hard because I had to run, okay? <clears throat> and, and we're sitting there, and we're just panting with our breaths, just almost as if we were telling our coach without telling him, I've given it all I got. That's what we were saying. Coach, coach 17-0, I've given you everything I got. I got nothing more. And we're just panting. Just. And our coach gets up after, I don't know, a couple seconds. It wasn't long. It felt like an eternity. And he goes, everyone look up at me. Slowly, chin started coming up. He said, no, everyone look up at me. And eventually, everyone's head and chin come up. And they, we start looking at Coach Chapin. And he probably had a few more words of color that I will not use as from a stage. Or just in general, I don't cuss, but. <laughs> but he said, how about this? He said, we've scored zero points this half. They've scored 17. He goes, I don't understand why they can't score zero in the next half and we score 21. And something inside of us just went, you're right. Like, if it's possible for us to get shut out, it's possible for them to get shut out. And we were not going to accept defeat. Why? Because our coach had a moment with us in the locker room. No, 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 you're not going to accept this. Our coach knew. We had worked way too hard over these past 365 days. It ain't going to happen today. Today we win. 
And the attitude that we had going in to the locker room did not match the attitude we had coming out of the locker room. We rushed that field, chanting, shouting, screaming. Dude, I mean, we were like, I'm not a stomp guy, but I was ready. Like, I was pumped. I was, I was excited. And we, we, we ended the game 35 to 17. We doubled their points and shut them out in the second half. Now, I don't say that because I was the one on the field doing all this. I say this because we had a coach who was unwilling to accept defeat for us. And I wonder in, in our lives, much like Jericho, have you accepted defeat? Has there been an area in your life that you just, you have no words. So when you show up to pray in your prayer closet with God, you just, have I, have I given up? Because if the kingdom of darkness operates by fear, that tells me they've already lost. They, they've, they've already lost. Why, why would I accept defeat if my enemy has already claimed defeat? Why would I join forces in fear when I could embrace faith and have victory? Why, why in the world would I want that? The, the quickest way to defeat is to accept fear. It's the fastest way to lose anything. Just accept the fear. So what, what passion, what dream have you given up on because it's halftime and it's 17-0? If you've accepted defeat, I'm telling you right now, it's time to get a new coach. You need a coach who will not accept defeat. You need, you need someone on your team who says, no, 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 this isn't how it ends. Right now is the time we stand up, we take this game back, and we finish strong. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. I really learned that in that game. We started terribly, but we finished incredible. 35-17. It was one of the greatest moments. See, those, those moments in the locker room when a coach is giving you unction. I'm telling you, it's moments that you'll remember for the rest of your life. It's about time we have some of those moments in church. It's about time we walk out of those doors with a different attitude than when we came in. I said, no, 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 it's 17-0 right now, but oh, bro, I got two quarters of life left. And it's time to get after it. See, that's a life of faith. That's the life that God has called you and I to live. I'm not saying life is going to be perfect and peachy keen. No, the fact is that a battle is happening. I love it. It says the weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. The weapon is going to come at you. It just won't prosper. The weapon will come. The weapon will be made. The weapon will come at you full speed, but it will not prosper. Why? Because I got a coach who will not accept defeat. And I am not going to accept fear into my life and embrace it. So what this tells me, Jericho's already defeated. For 40 years, they've been defeated. The moment someone came back with the report, there is an army in the desert and their God does wondrous things. They were defeated for the past 40 years. They've lost. I wonder what Jericho looked like after 40 years of fear. I know what America looks like after a year and a half of it. So I want to know what did Jericho look like? What kind of fear did they embrace that they're scared of two little spies? And the king says, get them out now. Something was going on in the mind of the king in Jericho and in the hearts of the people, and its name is fear. They had accepted defeat. And if you, if you hear the story of Jericho, Chris led us on Mother's Day on the story of Jericho. The battle plan didn't make any sense. Because when your enemy has fear, you don't need a battle plan. They've already lost. They've already accepted. Oh, yeah, it's coming, and we're going to lose. Jericho had already accepted defeat, so... The battle plan for Jericho was walk around the city, go to bed, repeat. Walk around the city, go to bed, repeat. That's no battle plan. 
There's no, draw the sword. Let's get after this thing. No, 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 no. God says, no, no, no. I don't need you to do anything. They're, they're ripe with fear. And if the kingdom of darkness works by fear, that tells me that Satan himself, your enemy, is ripe with fear. And if you and I would embrace a moment of faith and courage, he would not be able to stop you. I want a life of victory. So what that tells me, I'm not going to accept defeat. When it comes to that depression that, that creeps up, when that anxiety rises up in my heart and in my mind, no, 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 no. When that, those feelings of inadequacy show up in my life, no, 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 I'm not going to accept defeat in that area. No, when it comes to the stresses, which was a big one for me, when it comes to this, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to accept it. You see, when it comes to that addiction that you've been dealing with, when it comes to that sin that has been lingering in your life for what feels like years, no, 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 I'm not going to accept defeat when all those things work by fear. Depression, anxiety, inadequacy, stresses, addictions, fears, it all works by fear. And so if it operates by fear, it tells me it has no grounds for victory. So why would I allow that thing to claim victory over me? No, 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 no. I'm going to embrace faith. I'm not going to be like Jericho. I want to be more like a pagan prostitute named Rahab. It's probably the only time someone would ever say that. Because Rahab is sitting there saying, we're full of fear. But you're not. You didn't send an army in here to fight right away. You sent two spies. And they obviously weren't too incognito about it. So they're not afraid. They're walking around telling people, we're, we're here to kill you all. <laughs> see, see you in three days. They, they have no fear. And so when Jericho is confronted with this moment of faith, the fear is exposed. And Rahab says, we have no courage in any of us. We're full of fear. I'm now going to align myself with you. I want to paraphrase to save a few minutes here. So Rahab ends up covering for them by lying and saying, yeah, they left town. Go get them. You can, you can overtake them. Go get them. And she sends them out to go chase pretend Bob, right? And they, she, she says, hey, I'm going to let you out through this window right here in my, in my house. Her house was on the wall of Jericho, so she had a window. She's like, I'm going to let you guys out right here, but I'm going to make you this deal. Rahab says to the spies, I've been good to you. Be good back to me. I'm saving your life. I'm giving you life. I'm letting you know where our city stands. So as I let you go, please, when you come back, save me and my household. Don't let anybody in my house die. And, and the, the spies say to her, hey, if someone is in your house, we will protect them. If they leave, sorry, might cut his head off, right? Like the Bible it literally doesn't say cut your head off, but that's what he says. He's like, hey, if, if someone leaves your house, I guarantee nothing. He says, so stay in your house. Stay right here. He said, actually, here, let's do this. You see, these two spies, they didn't know the battle plan yet. They didn't know they were going to march around the city for seven days, but God did. And so these, these spies say, hey, you know what? How about this? You're going to let us out this window. It's on the wall. We're going to see it. How about you hang this scarlet rope from your window? And when we come back, we'll make sure all of Israel knows, protect that house because we're getting victory over Jericho because of this window. We're getting victory here because the lady and the family in this house protected the spies. So we need to get them out. This is where victory is coming from. And so they didn't know they were going to march around the city, but again, God did. And so when Israel shows up, well, I'm oh, sorry, let's, let's not get ahead of myself. So they, she says, okay, sounds good. She said, let it be. So Joshua chapter two, verse 21, she says, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them down on a way and they departed and she tied the scarlet rope in the window. I find this truly fascinating because she's going to hang this rope. And for the next, well, in three days, for seven days straight, all of Israel is going to march around this city. 
And they're going to see this rope hanging from this window. And Joshua is going to make sure everyone knows, protect that family. Keep them safe. We only are getting victory here, one, because obviously, yes, God is with us. But two, because that lady showed kindness and stuck her head out for us. And so we're going to make sure that we get her. Victory is ours because of this family, because of this pagan prostitute. So make sure she's protected. And so they all walk around the city. They all know exactly where it's at. And they received the battle plan. And so they are going around the city nonstop. And every time they see it, I'm pretty sure Joshua or someone pointed up to it. I'm sure of it. We just have to say it the obvious. Like, hey, there it is. There it is. And as they walk around the city, they all see this scarlet rope hanging from this window. There it is. We have victory because of that. We have victory because of that for seven days. And then on the seventh day, they really saw it as they walked around seven times. That's not a battle plan that we ever need. That's not a battle plan that would any strategic uh, person of war would do. But when the enemy is ripe with fear, you don't need a battle plan. You just need a coach to say, here's victory. It's right here. That's, that's where you get victory. We're getting victory here because of this. Matthew chapter 27, verse 28 says this. They, the Roman soldiers, stripped him, that is Jesus, and put a scarlet robe on him. I love the word. See, I, I read that. Matthew chapter 27, and, and I, I have to pause. I go, wait, hold on, what? Because I got, I got a point on this, but before I even get to that point, I, I, I just want all of us to know, moments before the cross became a reality for Jesus, who was he thinking of as they put this scarlet robe on him? He was thinking of Rahab. He was thinking of a pagan prostitute who had lived her life giving herself away for money. Someone who is completely contrary to the Old Testament law. You see, if, if she was actually a Jew, she would have been stoned to death. They, they would have killed her. They said, no, this is not happening here. Put her to death. And, and they would have killed her. In Jericho, though, it was totally legal. It was fine for her to do that. And she was living in the culture that she was in. And Jesus... Moments before he's on the cross with three nails and two beams, he's thinking of her. Why? Because Jesus said himself, I did not come to seek and save those who know they're healthy, but those who know they are sinners. Rahab, upon meeting these two spies, realizes, I'm wrong. My life is wrong. My actions are wrong. And you have a God who's real. I want to align myself with him. She realized in that moment, I I, got to change this. I need to change me. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. To show you and I in our lives where we are wrong. And God said, hey, let me give you enough unction of this to put a scarlet robe on him in the middle of Jerusalem. So now we're no longer at Jericho. We're in Jerusalem. And this is where my heart breaks. Because I asked you at the beginning of the sermon, I said, has the testimony of of God gone out ahead of you? Because obviously, after Israel got the promised land, they had forsaken to tell the next generation of the things that God has done for them. Because not in the middle of Jericho, but in the middle of Jerusalem, a scarlet robe claiming victory was put right in front of them, and no one recognized it. No one made the connection of, hold on a second, scarlet, hold on, victory, hanging up. We're looking up to a a scarlet. Oh my gosh, hold on. No one made the connection. Let me tell you something right now. Your kids, your grandkids rely on you to declare the testimony of God in your life. 
I got two little kids, and I ask them all the time, who's the most important person? Jesus, that's right. Don't ever forget, I want them to know Jesus is who it's all about. The reason why I talk about Rahab but in talking about Jesus is because it's who it's all about. I don't care about anything else. It's about Jesus. And they put him on this scarlet robe and they hung him up for all to see. And no one recognized. Hold on a second. That's victory. Hold, hold on a second. The walls of death are going to come down because of that. Be- because of him. He, he's up. He's raised up for all to see. And no one is recognizing the victory. In that moment that's being claimed for them. All they're doing is chanting, kill him. And all the while Jesus is saying, no, it's my act of kindness like Rahab's act of kindness that gives you the victory. It's my act of mercy that you do not deserve. It's above your pay grade. And moments before Jesus is crucified, he's thinking about Rahab. He's thinking about her. Why? What's so great about Rahab? Because Rahab actually becomes, this is pretty cool, she becomes the great-great-grandma to King David. She married a man named Boaz. You can read this in the book of Ruth, right after the book of Judges. And she, Boaz, and, or sorry, is that right? I, I got confused. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But she, she <laughs> yes, yes, Ruth, Ruth married Boaz and all that's okay. And, and all these things. And Boaz was a, a son of Rahab, who becomes the, the great grandpa of King David. Without Rahab, there is no David and Goliath story. You see how important you are to God? That he would say, I need a pagan prostitute for my will to be done. How important are you then? What generation is ahead of you that needs to hear of the good things of God and his actions and his faithfulness in your life that the next generation needs to hear about? Obviously, those generations were hearing about the faithfulness of God because King David had no fear inside of him when he had to face Goliath or when he had King Saul trying to kill him. Without Rahab, there is not that. But then also beyond that, there'd be no Joseph. Which means Jesus wouldn't have his stepdad. How crazy is it that she became the great, 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 great grandma to Jesus himself? See, I think that's cool. Like she got grafted in the family line of Jesus, right? Don't tell me your family is dysfunctional. So is Jesus's. Okay? He's got a really dysfunctional family. So if you have a dysfunctional family, you're in good company. Okay? See, that's cool. But it's not just that she became grandma. Rahab to Jesus. It's the fact that she was accepted. It's the fact that God looked at her and didn't base an opinion based on her sin. He didn't look at her and say, oh, no, sorry, can't use you. Oh, sorry. That's crazy. Not a chance. Instead, he said, actually, why don't you come be Jesus' grandma? (laughs) It's crazy to me that he would accept her and tells me that he accepts you. Maybe you've been running from God. Worship team, you can join me on stage. We're going to sing that song again. Maybe you've been running from God. And maybe you've been trying to go wayward and go your own direction in life. Moments before Jesus' death on the cross, he was already thinking about you. And he put that scarlet robe on to say, here's your victory. Here's where where the message of your salvation comes from. And he's asking, would would you hear it today? Would, Would you listen to him? We're in this series called Faithful. Pastor Stan's been going through it. I want you to know his response to our faithfulness is to claim victory for you. That even when a pagan would be faithful to him, 
he would claim victory for her. I think it's so important that we no longer accept fear and walk defeated. I think it's so important that we no longer accept sin and walk defeated. I think it's so important that we no longer accept death and walk defeated. No, I have victory in the name above every name who hung on a cross and died for my sins. But he didn't end there. Three days later, God said, I see fit to raise you from the dead, claiming victory over death, hell, and the grave so you could be accepted, so that you could be that pagan prostitute and find complete acceptance in God's kingdom and embrace a life of faith. Where does it start? By claiming victory to the next generation, by telling them of the things God has done. Rahab got something way above her pay grade, but so did you. Just as Rahab has been accepted in the family of God, so have you. I want to enter time today, but heads bowed and eyes closed. If there's anybody in this room, this is why I do what I do right here. You're in this room and you say, you know what? I've been running from God or, you know, I've never even called on his name before, but it's about time I give my life to him and I ask him to forgive me of my sins. If that's you, either one of those two things, would you please raise your hand real quick? I'm not going to call you out and embarrass you. Anybody? Awesome. I trust we're all saved in this moment and that's exciting to me. Then all the more we need to walk out of those doors today having a locker room chat. And here's what I want to do. I want to end their time singing this song, Champion. Reminding ourselves that he's undefeated. That he gave us victory and the walls will come crumbling down. If you could, would you please join me and stand real fast as we worship and end our time together.